This is the WFG National Title Insider Report, your weekly download on the market, featuring industry experts, thought leadership, and what's trending to keep you informed and ahead of the market. In this download, Executive Vice President for Agency Development, Chuck Kane recaps Monday's Supreme Court ruling, plus the wild first half of 2020, and a look at what lies ahead the rest of this year. Hey, Chuck, thanks for joining us. Let's talk about this decision rendered yesterday in Cielo Law LLC versus the CFPB. Kind of give us a recap of what happened here. Sure, Brian, and thanks. The case before the Supreme Court has to do with uh, Cielo Law had a civil investigative demand placed against it uh, by the CFPB as to uh, accusations that uh, they were uh, doing debt collection in some improper manners that may have been viewed as uh, deceptive and therefore be uh, within the jurisdiction of the CFPB for enforcement. Uh, Seattle Law brought uh, action against the Bureau saying that the Bureau, first of all, was unconstitutionally formulated as a governmental entity and that the director of the um, bureau was um, unconstitutionally uh, appointed from the standpoint that under Dodd-Frank, the limitation was that the director could only be removed for cause. And uh, it's not at the pleasure of the president. So the Seattle law case, which churned through the court, federal courts of appeal and reached the Supreme Court, was decided uh, yesterday on June 29th and a five to four decision with uh, Chief Justice Roberts writing the majority opinion. And in a nutshell, relying on some recent case law that has been before the Supreme Court, the Chief Justice uh, opined that. Um, while the Bureau itself was constitutionally provided for, that is, the creation of the Bureau was something that was constitutional, that uh, removal of the director only for cause was uh, a breach of um, protocol and ability and separation of powers as for an administrative agency, and that the director would sit at the pleasure of the president. And so it... uh, Both conservative and liberal groups have uh, looked into the decision as to what has been uh, of value to them, they believe, as to uh, uh, where this goes. Uh, But it's going to raise a lot of questions here in the future uh, with the Bureau, many of which will be decided in the very short run. Uh, And the case itself is remanded back to the Federal Court of Appeals so that they could um, move forward uh, as directed by the uh, Supreme Court. And there was a dissent uh, in the case, but the dissent essentially is that the Bureau itself is unconstitutionally provided for and the Bureau itself should be shut down. So that being said, uh, it was a very interesting case, uh, but it's going to pose uh, more questions here in the future, perhaps, than it's answered. That's my next question. What does this mean for past cases would they potentially be overturned or, and what does it mean moving forward? Well, what will need to happen where there's a question about particularly those things that happened uh, during the tenure of director Cordray, uh, whether or not those were legal for lack of a better term to cut to it by the Bureau to enact some of those things. Most likely it will be the director Craninger will look back on those uh, issues and ratify 
the um, actions. And I say that because you squeeze too much toothpaste out of the tube and it's very difficult to go back and change things. The, the, the concept that, well, you know, the director was um, unconstitutionally appointed when Director Cordray was there. Does that mean that now we unwrap TRID and we get rid of TRID? Uh, that's not going to happen. Businesses have adjusted to it. There's things about TRID that continue to be amended and addressed, but it's not going to go away. And so we've got nine years, literally, of uh, action by the Bureau that will need to be ratified by the uh, director and probably the civil investigative demand that was the basis and concern of the civil law case. That will go back to the uh, Court of Appeals, and all it's going to take is Director Penninger to recertify that CID, and then uh, the investigation will continue. So as far as sort of, uh, again, putting the toothpaste back in the tube, probably that's not going to happen, but there will need to be ratification by the current director for an awful lot of things that have gone on in the past, but also many CIDs and investigations that are ongoing as to rules that have been uh, proposed that we move forward. And, and when we get into the next tenure of uh, the Bureau, if the Democrats prevail in the autumn and Joe Biden is elected president, what we'll have potentially is that the president will then appoint a new director. And one of the things that was hoped for in the Dodd-Frank legislation was, again, to have this director to be insulated from the political issues uh, of the executive branch. This overturns that. And so it could be pretty much anybody. It will be every time there is a new president, there could be a new director. And uh, that could change a great number of things. Okay, and the name that comes to mind that does concern many in financial services is Elizabeth Warren. So she could be essentially inserted to run this agency or, I mean, certainly, you know, in this scenario, Treasury would be you know, maybe a more likely landing spot for her. But, you know, this is something that certainly concerns, maybe for lack of a better word, many people in financial services, right? Well, yes. And uh, both uh, American Land Title Association and the Mortgage Bankers Association, in their statements in reaction to the case yesterday, stressed how they still believe that there should be a panel. There should not be a single director. Uh, it should be run um, like the FTC or the SEC, where you've got a panel, uh, and they would like to see that done. And there has been legislation actually introduced in the Senate to uh, amend Dodd-Frank to uh, eliminate the single directorship and create a panel. I think that's going nowhere, especially at this point in time, in this particular year, not just because it's an election year, that uh, such a bill would pass. I don't think anything involving... Um, Dodd-Frank or um, the Bureau would find its way through Congress this year. You know, whether that may come to pass in uh, the future, well, we'll see. And again, that's a matter of political decision based off of whoever is in political power at the time. But I think, you know, as far as uh, directorship, I have no idea if it were a circumstance that Elizabeth Warren would step out of the Senate to be the director of the CFPB. I think that's highly unlikely. She was the acting director when it first came into being. And I think leaving the Senate to go run the uh, bureau would probably not be her first choice. There may be other people that may uh, give pause. But uh, likewise, it could be that 
uh, if he can remove someone, if Donald Trump is reelected, uh, we may have someone um, who comes perhaps even from outside of government. Uh, Kathy Craninger is uh, a long respected employee in government, administrator in government, but he could find someone who simply wants to disrupt everything. So, you know, we'll see how that moves forward. I would not imagine that we would see some sort of dramatic change, but we always could. And uh, that's not to say four years from now, eight years from from now, that uh, we could see this swinging pendulum. And that's very difficult for business. Oh, yeah. Uh, to not know wh- how this is going to move, in part because uh, there is pending rulemaking uh, and pending rules that have been um, put out there that, if there is a new director after the general election this year, well, maybe those rules are going to be amended or pulled back or changed. Businesses needs to know some certainty, whether it is the, the pendulum is swinging to the left or the right, how things work. And uh, that's going to be very difficult where every four years, every entity, and we talk about obviously you know, mortgage and title and, and the real estate uh, industry because that's what we're in but there's a wide range of other lenders that are uh, under the jurisdiction of the bureau and they'll have to hold their breath every time there's going to be a general election based off this decision yeah i mean you look at uh the turn time on usually it's going to be 12 to 18 months maybe two years on policy and then it gets enacted and then (laughs) i mean certainly hopefully not to the level of cfpb every four or five years. But right to your point, it's a great point in asking you to forecast the future, which is virtually impossible. You know, the impact this has on business, particularly the real estate profession, the lenders out there, the banks, it's uh, this is huge. And that was one thing that uh, as much as it was unpopular to have an insulated director with a five year term, at least once everyone got to have an idea what the person was like, then they knew where to keep the guards up. And uh, again, we, we don't know. It could be, you know, the difference between having, and I pull these names out of a hat, absolutely, but Steve Bannon run the Bureau as versus uh, Maxine Waters. There's a, there's a wide pendulum swing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it would be either of those two people. Um, could be, but I doubt it. But it could be, again, depending on who's in the White House, that could be as broad as that political swing could be within the Bureau. Again, the Bureau is going to be, as a governmental entity, will need to enforce its rules that have been longstanding. Um, So the dismantling of the Bureau that many people thought were going to happen or perhaps hoped would happen when Donald Trump was elected is not going to happen. Uh, As Elizabeth Warren said yesterday, if nothing else, that the decision uh, showed that the Bureau is here to stay. And uh, the Bureau will have been in business now for nine years in a couple of weeks. The CFPB is not going anywhere. And they have been very activist in other areas, just not so much in the real estate area here recently. Again, uh, this case involves debt collection practices. They've been involved in student lending issues, VA benefits. So they've been very activists uh, in other areas, fair lending. They've been very activists and their enforcement is still pretty vigorous in these areas. Uh, But it's just a question of uh, uh, who gets in and uh, who uh, is targeted by that director and as to what issues 
that that director may see to be a problem. But I don't think we're going to see a dramatic change in, the, in how the Bureau is going to be administered. I would be very surprised. I'll say certainly if the Democrats come in in November, if Biden is elected, we're not going to see any change. That won't ever get through Congress or across his desk. Republicans would have to take the House. There would be some change in the uh, other direction where there might be a um, panel run it. So I think what we do have uh, out of this case is some certainty for the next few years to come that the Bureau is here. It is constitutional as it exists, but the director serves at the pleasure of the president. As we release this podcast on June 30th, here we are marking the midway point of 2020. What a year it's been. In some cases, it feels like it's flown by. In others, you think, man, it's only halfway over. And uh, looking ahead, I think, boy, I mean, you see what's happening in many states uh, with the, the rise of COVID again, states that, you know, reopened early, uh, or in some cases, I, Arizona, we all have friends there who, hey, what virus, right, a few months ago, and now they're severely impacted by this. You know, it's going to be very interesting, to say the least, how the rest of this year plays out. Um, the good news, I guess, Chuck, is that in in real estate, rates are low. Everybody I talk to, and you talk to more people than I do, everybody's busy, inventory's low, rates are low. The business seems healthy in spite of all this. Very much so. And, and the overall economy, uh, by and large, is uh, relatively healthy. The fundamental precepts of the U.S. economy are still very solid. And we've seen some of that in uh, the uh, consumer spending that has happened as some of the uh, stay-at-home orders or stay-in-place orders uh, have expired. Um, automobile sales are up not to where they would be normally, but but better than most uh, automobile manufacturers and dealers uh, saw we, you know, as durable goods, things like that. Uh, uh, and, and it's not uncommon when we've had uh, lockdowns or consumer lockdowns that have been imposed, um, such as uh, World War II, when there was rationing. When rationing was over, there was a big consumer spurt for about a year and a half because people weren't allowed to buy anything. Mm-hmm. And uh, now they're out to buy things. They generally have money, as has been stressed by many economists, even people who are unemployed at this point in time because of the benefits and some of the packages that have been offered by the government and and state government, uh, that uh, it has not been that terrible for them. No doubt it will continue to be. And we will see, I think, more unemployment because we're going to see governmental unemployment here start to pick up. But but that being said, yes, um, in Cincinnati, where I am, any house that doesn't look like a good shotgun blast would knock it over sells in about 48 hours. It doesn't take very much. Uh, we still have a uh, shortage of inventory, and that inventory gets gobbled up pretty quickly in most of the reasonable price ranges. We see some areas, obviously, some markets where it's not as good, especially at the very high end. Um, but uh, uh, you know, we're starting to see a uh, housing move, and uh, it should be, uh, <laughs> again, an election year usually is a very inconstant year. Um, but we should see a very good uh, real estate year uh, here through the end of 2020, perhaps into 2021. Um, and uh, we're seeing some uh, the commercial activity, particularly in the warehouse and manufacturing area, start to pick up. So, 
Yes, uh, despite all that we have been through in these first six months for the real estate industry overall, it has been a challenging six months, but uh, the revenues and the business activity have been very good. Yeah, it feels like consumers and particularly those engaged in the housing market have been desensitized, right? We've been through so much that, I don't know, maybe that's a good thing for the real estate market. Yeah, you know, we keep on going. It's about demand. Anyone who's been in any facet of the realty industry knows that sometimes for no apparent reason, the phone stops ringing. And then other times for no seemingly apparent reason, the phone starts ringing. It is a pure marketplace. And uh, we are going to see very low rates uh, for some time. There's really nothing foreseeable on the horizon that would, that would signify uh, any dramatic increase in uh, mortgage rates. Now, I say that, as we've discussed, in the first six months, who would have thought these first six months are, would have been like they are? Um, we've got another six months here, and all sorts of strange things may happen. But given what we have been through, in the first six months, if we have these same issues through the second six months, as strange as it is to sound, we should be okay uh, as far as uh, business uh, because, uh, again, there's a lot of activity uh, and uh, people need homes. And even more so where you don't have an office to go to, you need a pleasant house to work out of. Yeah, that's a great point. Well, Chuck, uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, enjoy the fourth and stay safe. You too. Thanks so much, Brian. That's Chuck Kane, WFG's Executive Vice President for Agency Development, joining us on the Insider Report. Thank you for partnering with WFG. To learn more about our unique process, systems, and technology, visit WFGAgent.com. And to leverage the buying power of the WFG Blocks program, including access to cost-effective health insurance plans, visit WFGBlocks.com.